Today's guest, Neil Shalom, is one of my best friends in addition to being one of the best businessmen that I know. He's one of the largest owners of commercial real estate in the country, consisting of warehouses, distribution centers, outlet centers, shopping centers, single tenant businesses, medical office, and mixed use properties. Through his businesses, Equity Industrial Partners and Waterstone Properties Group, Neil has developed or acquired over 75 million square feet of commercial property leased to such companies as Home Depot, Staples, Amazon, and other Fortune 500 companies. I have known Neil for over 20 years. He has been a great friend and a mentor to me. Today, he will present to you the exact strategies and techniques that have made him extremely financially successful. Neil, it's time to spill the beans. Let's get started with my favorite question. How old were you when you made your first million dollars and what were you doing? Hey, Josh, uh, nice to be included in your podcast here. Uh, so I started in business um, when I was 25, building my first strip shopping center, outlet center up in Maine. Um, I guess when I made my first million dollars, which I only realized after the fact, because you're so busy working, not really thinking about the big picture, you're very granular when you're starting out. Uh, I was probably about 26 and a half. That's pretty young. So you'd made a million bucks by 26 and a half. Once you had made that million, did you reward yourself right away or did you wait? What happened? Yeah. So you don't, when you're really trying to accomplish something, you don't really fit, sit with a, with a calculator and see what you're worth or, or, or how much money you have or what you should buy. Um, you're really thinking about the next transaction and how to leverage your interests and leverage what you're doing. Um, and you never really feel affluent when you're growing your business in a, in a big, trying to grow it in a big way. So uh, it's only when I had to send some financial statements to banks to borrow more money that I, that I realized what I had started to accumulate. What do you think was the key turning point? 26 is very young to be that successful. What was that key turning point that put you on the path to making millions of dollars? So when I was, when I was uh, in high school and even junior high, well, when I was younger, I really just wanted to be a toll booth collector or own a car dealership because I like cars. And I thought at toll booths, people just handed you money all day long. But then when I got a little older, uh, I really just wanted to make a lot of money. I saw my father work hard in his own business for decades, eking out a living, supporting our family nicely, but, but not really making any progress. And I just wanted to make a lot of money. If you told me then, back then 40 years ago, that I could be wealthy working on a garbage truck, that would have been fine with me. I mean, I would have liked something a little dressier, but, but uh, it didn't really matter. I just wanted to make a lot of money, have the freedom um, uh, of, of knowing I was building something unique and, 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 and um, really goes, going somewhere with it. So it wasn't until I got into college and started thinking more about business and, and what I wanted to do with my life that I got um, thinking about a real career. And uh, when I was in high school, I had a car simonizing business and took over to, continued into college. And one of my clients was in real estate. And he always said, come see me when you graduate and we'll see. So I got out of school with an accounting degree, never wanting to practice accounting. Uh, and I went to see him and started working for him doing industrial brokerage. And that kind of was, that was the beginning of my love for real estate and, and business. How did you know right away or did you that it was something that you could be good at? You never really think about that. You just think about, hey, this is pretty good. I need an idea. I need a concept. I need something to run with. I knew I didn't want to be the middleman doing brokerage, although people do very well with that. But I just saw guys 
making good money, paying a lot of tax, spending it and starting over again. Um, I really wanted to accumulate wealth. I really wanted to accumulate um, uh, assets and real estate was really the perfect formula for that. Uh, I, when I think about it, assuming I wasn't going to reinvent the light bulb or come up with some ingenious idea, uh, the two areas that a young person with virtually no money can really succeed, in my opinion, in the world is in the financial sector, hedge fund, money market, investing in that way, or in real estate and start to leverage your interests and put pieces together to create value. So let's dig in a little more. A lot of people go into real estate. They might buy houses and flip houses. They might sell houses. There's so many ways to go into real estate. I've known you over 20 years. And I feel like one of your biggest strengths is you're going into something every time in a manner that has the highest returns, the most leverage, sometimes a lot of risk, but where there's an opportunity for the same amount of work to make way more, basically the highest ROI in that industry. Can you talk about how you focus on what to actually pick, which deals to do and which not to. Yeah, so it's interesting. First of all, to be successful, you have to be, you have to be focused, you have to be willing to take some risk, uh, and you need a niche. You need to have an idea about what you wanna do or just hit or miss until you hit, hit on something. Uh, but I was always very focused on long-term equity. I didn't really care about cash flow as long as I had enough to live on. I really wanted to create something that had value and that's how you become wealthy. You don't become wealthy by making a good income, paying taxes and, and start to save from what you don't live on. Um, so early on, uh, I decided that I wanted my efforts to count. I really didn't want to bring on outside partners unless they were working partners and I'm happy to bring on working partners. Working partners should be accretive. They should be able to do something that I'm not good at and help me brainstorm and me help them brainstorm to create something. Um, the way I've been able to, to grow in real estate to this day, to this very day, I still do it the same way. I look to put together the pieces to create value. I'm not a online buyer. I'm not, not a bulk acquirer of property. I try and <clears throat> see a piece of property that I can add value to, or I have a user that needs space that I find an empty building or build them a building and put the two together. And then I leverage that with bank debt and, and my own money and, and um, create cash flow, but more importantly, long-term equity. I really don't like selling property unless I need capital to do another deal or series of deals. So you're basically a value investor for real estate, but your goal is for you to create the value instead of just hoping it appreciates. That's right. I mean, in the long-term, yeah, hopefully rents go up, you amortize your mortgages, and that's great. And that is the way you create long-term wealth. But to start with, I have to see within three years of putting together a deal, it making money. And, and then I take that cash flow, not so much anymore because I've accumulated more. You take that cash flow, you reinvest it in another deal. Then you refinance that and you reinvest it in another deal. And if you start to do a few things a year, hopefully more, then, then you start to build a portfolio. And I've known some of your specific deals, but I think it's important to share. What's the best deal you've ever done? What is the biggest swing on one specific deal? You know, what, what my philosophy is, and I tell uh, uh, any partners that I have, and I tell any young people that I talk to who are looking to find their stake in the world, um, you got to get out there and start doing business. If you're looking for the home run, you're not going to bring it. 
you're not going to get it because no one's going to bring it to you. You've got to be out there looking for singles and doubles every day. To this day, that's what we do. We look for singles and doubles. And then every few years, hopefully, you get a triple or a home run. Um, a, a deal that I did recently that I was pretty, pretty proud of um, was I had a user, a retailer, who needed a warehouse. And they gave me a location. They wanted to be out on the West Coast. And I actually found the brand new building that was built on spec by an insurance company. I put it under agreement before we closed. I signed a long-term lease with the tenant and I put the two together and they absorbed it over about two years. It was almost a million square foot warehouse. And when they fully absorbed it, I decided to sell it because I wanted to use that money and to do some larger, even larger transactions. And in about in two years, we made about $24 million just by buying and selling this building and putting pieces together. That's a pretty good home run on a single building. And uh, I actually put most of that money into a larger transaction that I'm doing up in Maine, just outside of Portland. We're building a 2.1 million square foot mixed use project. And I needed about $20 million cash to go into that. And um, that's a project that's gonna be about $600 million that we expect that'll be worth about 875 to 900 million when it's done over a three and a half year period. Phase one is actually opening in two weeks and uh, phase two will be started next spring. So if I hear that right, what you're saying is this one project could have a profit of between two and $300 million. That's right. So anyone listening obviously is gonna get super fucking jazzed up because that's a ton of money on one deal. But as you're saying, you're not gonna go out and hit a two, $300 million profit deal your first one. So to anyone listening that's like, I wanna do a deal like that, What's the first deal to go look for and to get in the game, as you say? How do you start getting in the game? Work as a broker, start doing small deals. What do you recommend? So you got to get into play. So there's any number of ways to do it. Real estate just happens. To, I'm biased towards real estate because I, I really like it. I get jazzed up about it. I'm 62 years old, and every day I jump out of bed, can't wait to get to the office. You know, my wife says to me, why are you working so hard? Why are you taking risks? We have enough money. You're not going to let me spend anymore. Uh, and she's right about that. But um, I just love what I do. I love the people I work with. Uh, I get jazzed up when I put a deal together and create value. Um, I, I don't spend any more money, but I am giving away more money now every year, which really gives my wife and me satisfaction. Uh, I already have uh, way more money to give to my kids than I think is good for them. But I just love what I do. And I think, I think one important thing is find something that you like to do and get jazzed up about it, and then run with the ball. Um, if you wanna get into real estate, become a broker, go work for someone who's doing something that you admire. Go, go, go sweep floors for him, try and sit in on meetings, just learn. But the biggest thing is you wanna learn how to leverage your talents and your interests. You have to be realistic, figure out what you're good at, what you're not good at. It's not a fault if you're not good at something, just work around it, bring on someone who is good at it. Um, and then just try and find your first deal. Could be small, but, but focus on what you're trying to accomplish. Try and zero in over a few year period on what your niche is. And then once you figure that out, run with it. I've always, there's a lot of ways to make money in real estate, like in any business. I've always wanted to do it on my own. There are people who run funds and take in investors, and that's a pretty good way to make money as well. I've never really wanted to live on fees and have tiny interests, residual interest in the properties. I've always used my own money, figured out how to put the pieces together, um, 
and, and then just keep redeploying my same money. I take bigger risks than some people because I sign guarantees and I use my own cash and my partner's cash. But at the end of the day, the way I look at it is I'm always playing with the same sum of money that I'm willing to risk, give or take. And, that, and for me, that's 20 to five to $50 million that I'm continually signing on, maybe about uh, you know, 15 to $25 million of my own cash at any given time that's deployed in assets. And I'm comfortable with that. And that number continues to grow as I do more things, but it's all a percentage of what my worth is and what my business is worth. So that's how I've done it. Uh, but again, there are a lot of ways to, to, to do it. So you keep talking about the partnership needs to have this division of skills, which is something on this podcast I talk about pretty often. How do you go about finding the right partners and laying out who does what? You know, it's not a master plan. It's you meet a few, you meet a person or a few people in the, in the midst of a transaction is usually the way it's happened. Or um, in the case of, of Waterstone, it's actually your best friend growing up who I met and he just had a lot of energy and I kind of saw myself in him 20 years earlier. Um, and, and we just started looking for a transaction with my other part, my other company, Equity Industrial Partners. Um, we just met on a transaction and started to do a deal and another deal and another deal. And we each had very unique and different interests and talents. And it just kind of clicked and worked. It doesn't know, you don't, you don't have a master plan. We didn't have a big business plan. We just started doing transactions. It worked and we continued doing it. Uh, with Waterstone, it really started with, uh, uh, with, with, with my junior partner, who's now an, an equal partner for many years. Uh, over the first few years, we met someone else through a transaction. We invited him to join us. He had talents that we really didn't have. And uh, we've just continued to brainstorm and transact and really build something that we're all very proud of. And in real estate, a lot of people have this misconception that it's like this super white collar pedigreed business, but you have an accounting degree from Syracuse, which is fine. You know, it's not Harvard, but it's good school. I didn't even graduate college. And then the guy you're talking about, Josh Levy, one of our mutual best friends, has a communications degree, which obviously has nothing to do with real estate. So to someone listening, thinking, hey, my career has been in something else, but real estate sounds like something I'm interested in. And I've always wanted to go in that direction. How much does a pedigree matter versus just wanting to get out there and learn? Look, I, I meet, I, I really enjoy meeting with young people, whether it's uh, friends, kids, or, 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 or people in the business, or people looking to get in the business. I would say every, every other month I meet with a young person who wants to get into real estate and learn about what I do, and I'm happy to meet with them. I love young people with passion and energy. Um, when I first met you 20 years ago, that's what I liked about you. You just had this fire in your belly. You didn't know what you were excited about, but you were excited about jumping out of bed every morning and trying different things until, until you found something that really clicked, which you did. Um, so I love meeting young people. And if I like them, I'll push them and I'll test them and I'll challenge them. Um, you have to have a fire in your belly. And if someone doesn't have a fire in their, in their belly, they could be smart. They could have a pedigree. They can have an attitude that really doesn't do much. An ego really doesn't do much for me or the world. Um, you really have to ignite something inside you. And if I see that, then I can help shepherd that into direction. And, and it's nice to have an accounting degree. It's nice to have an MBA. It's nice to have 
uh, all these professional degrees. But what really ignites a career in any direction, in anything you do in life, is to get excited about something and want it more than anything else and, and just not take no for an answer and keep bobbing and weaving and trying. You're going to get knocked down. Uh, not every deal is going to work out. You just got to get up, brush yourself off, and start over again. And the most successful people that I know are people who just keep trying and persevering through adversity and just keep coming up with new ideas and come out swinging every day. Yeah, I agree. I feel like the faster and cheaper you fail, start getting those out of the way, the faster you're going to get rich. That's right. That's right. And, and, and the other thing is, you know, you talk about a concept and running with it and fire in your belly. The other thing that I think is important also are, are what your goals are. What are you trying to accomplish? And, and someone a long time ago once told me, and this was back in the 70s, so the numbers are a little out of proportion now. But he said, you know, if you decide that you want to make $100,000 a year, and that's a lot of money to you, when you get to about $90,000, if it's sequential, you'll take your foot off the gas because you're almost there. And you'll never really succeed. The people who have that goal never make it to 200,000 and a million and, and, and more. Uh, I, I always set goals for a period of time. I set goals for a year. What do I want to accomplish this year? What's my goals? Maybe fixing something. It may be new relationships. It may be a particular group of transactions or whatever. But I never have a maximum goal because I don't have a maximum that I want to reach. I want to keep growing and making progress. And the other thing is I think you still have to, you always have to be open to learning new things. I want to keep learning until they bury me in the ground. Every day I got up, get up and I'm looking at the world. How can I improve myself? How can I advance whatever my goal is at that time? One of the things that I know that you and I both do that our mutual friend Josh calls the dreaded list is you have a yellow, the little yellow sticky pad and you write down exactly what you need to do for the day on there and then basically just harass the fuck out of people until it's done or your own tasks are done. And I kind of do the same thing and I think it's super important. So can you get a little bit into detail about the dreaded list and how you use that to move projects, people and dreams forward? Yeah, so, so it, I mean, it's very easy to keep busy, right? You can keep busy. I mean, I know people who don't work and they're very busy. I don't know what they're doing, but you know, they get up, they have breakfast, they make the bed, they go for a walk. And at the end of the day, what have they accomplished? Absolutely nothing. So I try to stay focused. Every day I manually write up. I have all the computer programs and everything, but every day I get up and I make a list of the things that are most important to me to accomplish. Um, and then I try and focus on those things. In a perfect world, it should be five or six things. It never is. It's always more than that. But I try and focus and spend the majority of my day on what my goals are, because it's so easy to get distracted. Even to me, for all these years that I've been doing this, you got to stay focused and focus and spend time on what's important to whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. How do you know you have the right things on that list? Because I agree, it's very easy to just write down 10 things, especially 10 easy things. You get them done, you feel good about yourself, but there's zero advancement. How do you know what you have on there? Hey, this is what's going to make more money either now or in the future. Yeah, so, so that's interesting. And you have to continually challenge yourself. You don't know. Day to day and year to year, I mean, I make hundreds, if not thousands of decisions over the course of a year. And it's all these little decisions combined uh, that hopefully make you either successful or not successful or maximize or just get ahead. And 
you just never know. So you gotta constantly have to challenge yourself. Hopefully you surround yourself with people who challenge you as well. I hate yes people. I have you know, people work for me and it's, oh, you look wonderful. What a nice shirt. That's a great idea. You're so wonderful. I don't give a hoot about that stuff. I like to surround myself with people who are good at what they do. I challenge them, they challenge me, and hopefully we get better results, combined with challenging myself. So when you're talking about these people that you're surrounding yourself with, obviously we talked about how to get into a business partnership and what to look for. What do you look for in an employee? So it, it really depends. What I really look, I really have always believed that um, the leverage that I have and the relationships that I have and what I can create is at a partner level. And, and myself and my partners are the ones out there transacting and, and, and building, building a business. The people that I've looked to hire are the ones that can take things off my plate, run my business, um, tend to the relationships that I have once they're up and running. So I like to surround myself with bright people, the best people that I can find, the people who see my vision or enhance my vision um, and, and leave me free to focus on what I'm trying to accomplish. And as I built an organization, that's what I've tried to do. We just actually hired a management consultant about 18 months ago because we want to take the business now to the next level. And uh, what he said to me was the best thing you can do is sit in your, sit in your office for 45, hour, 45 minutes a day with the lights off and just think and come up with one idea. And that idea, if you did that every week or every month, it would, that would make you an awful lot of money. I don't do that exactly, but what I often do is go for a drive or sometimes go for a swim. And I come up with my best ideas when I'm not being banged on the phones and people walking in and out of my office asking questions. That's actually, you brought up a very interesting point. And I think for anyone listening, this is a really good time to get into some detail because it's super important. So if I understand correctly, the way you look at your business, as far as the equity in the business, how much is this business worth? It's really at the partnership level. You guys are figuring out what deals to do, how to create value, take a piece of real estate, make it worth much more and how to build a team that will accomplish this for you and actually do the work that is based on the decisions you made. So the equity in your business actually isn't really in the company. The equity in your business is in the actual properties themselves and the amount of cash that they throw off or can be refinanced for, which is very different than a lot of other people's businesses like mine, where the overwhelming viewpoint is our equity in this business is the people that we have staffed and trained up to keep this machine rolling. Yours, it's what are these assets, actual physical assets that we have created and how do we get more of them and, and keep going with the assembly line basically of creating these, these valuable physical real estate assets? Well, th that's true to a large extent, but really, we really look at it as one business. So all these properties are rolled up into one holding company and we really, we focus on them, on, on them individually on a micro level but we're really running one big, one bigger business. Well, each of my two businesses, we really look at it at the, at the top level cash flow kind of flows into that. And a lot of the cash flow is reinvested in new transactions. So without the partners, do you think you could grow? If you and the other partners decided no longer to work, do you think the business would continue to grow at the rate that it's going? 
No, but it, it, it would maintain well. We reinvest in our properties. Uh, we have a few people that I've been mentoring uh, and always are mentoring that could, that could start to do what we do. So uh, I don't think it would have the firepower behind it, but we have some good people on board who I bring into transactions and, and, and I rely on for different pieces of transactions. At the end of the day, it's all about the relationships. It's not about reading listings and looking online. It's about the relationships we create with brokers, with bankers, with users of property, um, and, and visions we have for what are good investments in, in any given market. You know, uh, we're just now at the hopefully tail end, but who knows of this coronavirus. But um, before it, you know, 75 days ago, I had one idea that we were gonna be running with for the next year or two, how to grow the business. And now with the coronavirus, kind of everything's changed and, and, and recognized volatility creates opportunity. So while I'm wrestling with some of my retail properties now and helping retailers who have closed get through this period and, and hopefully open their businesses and reignite, um, at the same time, I've changed, shifted our paradigm of what properties to look for. And instead of looking for value-added properties in the retail environment, which is I had a, I could go into a whole concept of what we're starting to do this year, uh, that's changed 180 degrees. And now we're looking to do sale leasebacks with company on logistics, which were historically over the last couple of years, in my opinion, overpriced. So I shifted away from those into other categories. Now I've shifted back and we just in the process of putting, putting together either five or six warehouses as sale leasebacks to company that need companies that need cash now. So uh, we're able to buy these properties at about a two and a half cap better price than I could have 75 days ago. And now they're very accretive and we're very excited about doing this. Also getting more into medical. We've been doing a lot of medical. Now coming out of this pandemic, hospitals are gonna need more cash and doing sale leasebacks of their properties and doing renovations for them with long-term leases is a good way to add value to our company as well. It's very interesting. For anyone listening that uh, heard cap rate in there and didn't know exactly what that meant, it's a way to value real estate. So basically what Neil is saying is that in this time of volatility right now, you can buy properties, some properties, for less years of their income stream compared to you know, pre-corona, you'd have to pay more of the future earnings to buy the property, making it significantly more expensive. So in any time of volatility, the lesson is, you're gonna have some things that become more difficult and some things that become easier. You need to be able to respond and act accordingly. Uh, Neil, final question here. You love what you do. You're 62 years old. Assume the average lifespan's 85. I don't really know what it is. Do you think you'll get to a billion dollars of net worth? And if so, what do you need to do to get there? Yeah, so I, I don't think that way. I think about making progress sequentially, but, but it is certainly within reach at this point. I realized over the last couple of years that that, that could be a goal I'd achieve, um, although it's not something I think about. Um, but what I do think about is, is and as, as the, our companies grow, is thinking about laying off more of the stuff that I don't like to do that's not accretive to value. And this management consultant we're working with took, took a look, look at my list a few months ago and he's like, okay, there's about 25 to 30% of things that are on your list that are basically minimum wage jobs. Get rid of that stuff. Just hire someone to do that or have someone else in your organization do that. 
So my goal really is to continue to do the things that I do like that happen to be the most accretive to value anyway. And, um, you know, not necessarily be working around the clock, but we'll be working smart, continuing to work my relationships and, and put together transaction in an ever changing environment. Awesome. And, and I expect to be doing this for certainly the foreseeable future, as long as I'm good at it and, and continue to thrive, then I uh, plan to continue. Awesome. Neil, thanks so much for your time, for sharing the secrets of a old school tycoon in commercial real estate just creating tons of value, both for yourself and the communities of which the projects are located. I think some absolutely fantastic lessons in here. I'll put your contact info if anyone wants to get in touch and uh, get some mentoring or get into real estate. Always great opportunity to learn from someone who has done it. So thanks again and congratulations on all the success and hopefully that billion dollar mark sometime soon in the future. Thank you, Josh. Nice to see you.